We almost didn't have a service today. Uh, this is our first worship service, and it almost didn't happen. Uh, for the last four months, we've been praying and preparing and talking to people, um, asking them if they'd consider being a part of this new church. And a lot of people uh, have been supportive, but you know, a lot of people have also said, really, an- another church? Uh, things, are, things are great, especially in Apple Valley. It's all good in Apple Valley. Why would you need another church? Well, in the last 10 days, this is, this is what's happened in, in and around my life. I've talked to a couple that's on the verge of divorce. They're debating whether or not they want to make it work. I've talked to a woman who's lost her sister, her niece, a few months ago, and her mom last year. I've talked to a man whose wife walked out on her, him. I've uh, prayed with a friend whose brother's wife just served him divorce papers, um, and now they're going to fight over their kid. I prayed with a friend whose husband walked out just before she was diagnosed with cancer, um, only, to be, only to meet the other woman two days later. I've uh, prayed for another friend who's in his third month, month at Minnesota Teen Challenge. He's rebuilding his life. Um, I've talked with a friend who's a little angry with God because she lost her dad four years ago and her husband um, left her last year. I've talked with a wife who had to pull her husband off life support at only 44 years old. And the only thing they could tell her was that there was a complication when he was 13 with a surgery. Uh, I sat in the ER for six and a half hours on Monday myself. Saw two of my friends there who were dealing with their own situations. Only to come back to the ER or the hospital Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday to only go back again on Saturday, my wife for eight hours and myself for three, um, to wake up to, again, our child vomiting this morning. So if you know my family, you can pray for Lydia. Um, She's doing okay, and she's with mom, and mom is home because um, we want our kids to know that they come before church. This is really important, but they're important. So it almost didn't happen. But I would say to you, that with all those stories that are not really about me, that it's not all good in the suburbs. So uh, we have some hurting people in and around us, and yet God reaches out to hurting people. He has since the beginning of time. So as I thought and asked God, like, how do I start? You know, this has been in my head and in my heart for two or three years. How do I just give that away for 20 minutes or something like that. I, I can't figure out where I would start. And God's like, okay, start at the beginning. So I'm like, all right, well, I was born 19... And he's like, no, 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 start at my beginning. <clears throat> oh, okay, so Genesis 1, okay. So as someone who believes in Jesus, I believe that God is the author of creation, and we at this church believe that God is the author of creation, that he started it and continues it, and that it was good. Um, as um, God made man and woman to be like him in his image, um, male and female, he created them. So God is neither male or female. He gave them this place, this setting to be in this constant and daily interaction with God. This man and this woman would have nothing between them, it says in Genesis, and they had nothing between their relationship with God. And so they had this authentic relationship going on. And 
And their entire world, if you think about it, yes, it was this garden, they called it, the author of Genesis called it this garden. But for them, that was all they knew. So that was their world. Their world had no problems. It really, truly was all good. Even the text specifically says in Genesis 2, Verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and trees that were good for food. Remember that. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so here's the setting. It goes on to talk about the rivers that flowed into the Eden River, four rivers that actually are on the globe that we can find today. And then it says that there was a serpent. It says in Genesis 3, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree, from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. We must not touch it. If we do, we will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So I think the serpent did some things here. The serpent used doubt and deception for the woman and the man to question God and his intentions. The first thing he did is he used doubt. Several of those stories of people that I shared at the beginning of my message are doubting God. They're doubting his intentions and his goodness. So it makes sense for me to pause and ask you, when do you doubt God, when do you doubt God and his intentions? I mean, are you someone who doubts God all the time? And I'm certainly not judging or criticizing you if you do. Some people just have this skepticism by nature. They kind of always question everything, especially this idea of God, especially the idea of religion, religious people, and religious institution. And I would say, well, I kind of question that too. Um... And we're not going to do everything right. We might not do much right, but we want to say that that's okay. That we're a place where skepticism is welcome. We don't claim to have all the answers. We claim to seek them, but we're not infinite beings. And so as finite beings, we can't know things absolutely. But we believe God knows things absolutely, and we seek that. So maybe you doubt God and his intentions when you have an onslaught of challenges. Maybe you're not someone that doubts God all the time, but maybe you're someone who doubts God when there's just all these things that come one right after another. Um, someone who lost three family members in a year would probably be wondering, is God really good? And, and I would say, yes, he's good, but I wouldn't say that naively to think that solves the situation. Maybe you're someone that doubts God and his intentions when God seems absent. This one is hard for me. I mean, doesn't part of you wonder where God is when the serpent comes down and sees the woman and says, did God really say? 
Like, doesn't part of you wonder, like, where was God in that situation? Why wasn't he there? Or was he there? So there was a title slide. Can you pull that one back up, Mario? Not that one, but that one's cool. <laughs> Self-portrait. This one. Um, did anyone see anything in this picture? I know it's a little bit hard to see with our lighting here. Anybody see anything more in that picture? Anybody see some painted, what? Painted horses in that picture? Yeah, there's, there's one right here. Um, I don't know. Can I stand on this? Okay. Um, maybe I should get one of those laser points. There's one over there. There's actually five or six. It's a little bit hard to see on there. Five or six painted horses in that picture. Nice job, Katie. Um, now, why is it easier for some of us to see things like this than others? Um, now we had the picture that you already saw, the self-portrait of a guy named Waldo, who kind of looks like me. Uh, you know, skinny, awkward. Um, Waldo has a pretty popular series of books. The premise is simple. You find Waldo on the page. And the first one here is not too hard to find. Um, so Waldo is in there somewhere. I think this is the easier one. Uh, let's see. I think Waldo, yeah, it's pretty hard to see. But Waldo's right there. <laughs> not going to do that again. These are why they're preview services. Um, all right, now the next one is a little bit more challenging, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> and at the end of the book, like, there's, the, there's, just a, there's just a whole bunch of Waldos. And there, there's one real one, and the rest are imitation. So sometimes, when God seems absent, he's not, it's not that he, I think he's not there. I think he's just harder to see. He's harder to find, and that often happens when we're not looking for him, when, when it just, when it's like this. This is a picture of a marketplace, I think. I don't even know. But I thought about um, when has God seemed absent in my life, and, and before I could go there, I had to go, well, when has he seemed so evident and so real and so visible in my life? And that's been when I've gone on serving trips, in Jesus' name, when I've gone on mission trips. Um, I was actually in Honduras last year where God said, you need to start a church. Um, I was in uh, the poorest of the poor hill country of this country, and the people had no clean water. They had very little food. They had very little clothes. Um, they had no electricity. They had very few tools. Um, to accomplish the things they needed to accomplish, and yet God was unbelievably evident there. And I was starting to think about why. Why is he so evident there? There's this place in the Bible that says that God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life, so maybe he's just more evident in places where he has to show up. Where places like the mountains of Honduras, where the poorest of the poor live, maybe his divine power has to be there for those people to even survive. Whereas when we're in the south metro in the suburbs, where really we have pretty much everything we need, probably a lot of what we want, and if we ever get into a pinch, 
rather than pray, we could just pull out a visa. Um, maybe it's harder to see God in those situations. So the serpent gives the woman a chance to doubt and to question whether or not God is good, whether or not he really had his best intentions in mind for the man and the woman. But the serpent goes beyond doubt, and he goes to deception. He says, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Uh, I believe that the Bible writers were master authors. I don't think this just fell out of the sky. I think these people, with the Holy Spirit, wrote, and they wrote in a certain way. They wanted to convey a message. And I think the writer is trying to convey a message here. So if you look at it again, she took the food for three reasons. It was good for food, it was pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Do you catch that? Because remember when God did the creation story from the chapter before this in Genesis 2, he said he made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Okay, did you just hear that? That's why she took the food, because it was pleasing to the eye and good for food. Oh, and also for gaining wisdom. So what's going on there? I think that it's just lame excuses. All the trees were pleasing to the eye and good for food, so really she had one reason. And not just she, he, because he was standing right there too. She had one reason for taking that food, and that was to gain that wisdom. That was to be like God. Okay, wait a minute, though. Genesis 1, when God creates, he says, let us create men and women, humans, in our image to be like us, to be like God. So the man and the woman were already like God, They already knew good. So what did this man and this woman get by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? They got evil. And suffering entered the world. And so she took and she ate. And now she knew good and evil. And I believe it's the same story today. It's the same story that we've lived in that we want to be like God. But we don't want to do it Through his intentions, we want to do it kind of our own way. Like 1,500 years ago when people thought that the earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around it, we want to put ourselves in the center of our universe and have everything revolve around us. And life just doesn't make sense, and we wonder why. Why doesn't it make sense? Because we weren't intended to be in the center of that situation. God was intended to be in the center of that. And so what happens? They try and fix the problem. Adam and Eve try and sew leaves together, and that doesn't work so well, so they hide. And the next part of the story is actually why... I'm a Christian. The next part of the story is why, really, why we're starting this church. Because the next part of the story says, God went out and looked for them. Now, whether it's fig leaves and forests, or great big houses and secure jars, jobs, I think we still hide and we still cover. We just have more elaborate ways of looking for it. 
It's really easy to compartmentalize our life, to complicate our lives, to isolate us, and then begin to think, God doesn't have my best intentions in mind. Why is God allowing this suffering in my life? What did I do or what did he do or is he good? And we start this hiding and covering over and over and over and we forget that God seeks us out, that he went out and looked for them. It says that he walked among the trees and he called out to them. You know, Christianity is the only religion where God comes to us, that, that, that God calls our name. That ultimately, through the person of Jesus, he came and he lived and he died for us. That the creator of the universe seeks out the lost and the hurting and the broken and the hiding. And that's me. And maybe that's you. And if you're lost or broken or hurting or hiding, know that God calls out your name. Not just to restore a relationship with you, but to restore a relationship with those around you with us. He did, he still does, especially if we're hiding. And so God gave them animal coverings. There's a huge theological significance to that that we're not going to go into today. But I believe when, the, when this man and this woman were wearing these coverings, it was a visual reminder that God sought them out, that he called their names and restored them to himself. He made that relationship right again. You know, if, if you're just not sure about what the Bible says, um, we can break it down really quickly. Number one, Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world. It was good. Genesis 3, the next part of the Bible, to Genesis 11, it was not so good. We rebelled and things started to go wrong. And then from Genesis 12 to Revelation 20, so about this much, is the story of redemption. It's the story of restoration. It's the story of God seeking and forgiving and loving and restoring and seeking and living and loving and restoring and correcting and seeking and forgiving and loving and restoring, ultimately with the person of Jesus, ultimately to redeem us. And then the last two chapters are the story of new creation. And it just seemed like an appropriate place to start at the beginning of this church to say why we're doing this. Because I believe the world is broken and it is hurting. And people are captive to things and they are covering and they are hiding. And they need and we need and I need restoration. I will fail. We won't do this perfect. But because we love and because we're seeking this God who restores and forgives and comes to us, I believe that he will make this right. I believe he will use us to take things that are broken in the world and heal them and people absolutely along the way. So if you feel like you've been hiding from God or you just feel captive to something or ashamed, we don't have a confession booth. I mean, I guess you could go behind the curtains and... Um, but we don't believe that God has a barrier between us. So why would we want to artificially put one in? So there's going to be people up in the front and maybe one in the back, but definitely two in the front, that if you want to pray with someone, you want to talk about what it means to be restored to God, we'd love to pray with you to do that. If you um, just don't understand why God would forgive, we would love to have that conversation. He 
compassionately accepts and responds to all who ask. He restored the man and the woman. He restores us together. If you want to know about what it's like to get restored to each other, we have groups that are starting in a while. If you want to be a part of restoring what's broken in the world, one of the things that we're doing to be a part of that is that we're partnering with the little elementary school right back there um, to get backyard or back to school supplies, backpacks and calculators especially, but good use stuff. Um, not because we're special, but because we want to be a part of the process of healing what's broken in the world. And kids that don't have school supplies, I remember going to school and, and judging kids that didn't have their school supplies because like, oh, how come your parents didn't do that? That's not right. Why can't we be a part of that so everybody can have some? So those are just little things, and you can see more on the back, but the important thing today is how do you respond and how will you respond to a God who patiently and passionately seeks us out, especially if we're hiding. So the verse I want to leave you with before we go to lunch is from Jeremiah 29. It's verses 12 and 13. It's, it's part of where these theme verses that God gave us for our name and our vision. Jeremiah 29 says, Then you will call my name, and you will come and you will pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will search for me, and when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. That's a promise. God says you will find me, and I will let you find me, and I will restore you. That's what we're about. So let's pray. God, in a week of hurting, frustrating, um, sometimes even unexplainable situations, you continue to be faithful. You are continuing to heal people and relationships, and you are continuing to seek us out. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you're with my six-year-old and my wife right now even though they can't be here, God. I thank you that you call out our names. And right now I just pray for those that feel like they're hiding. I even had one of my friends tell me that somebody said to them, I'm just running out into the woods, I'm hiding in the woods, and I just need God to come and find me. Oh God, may, may he know that you have that you do and you will. Thank you for today. Thank you for a first. Um, God, we pray that as we dine together, as we sit in commune together, in food together, that you will continue to meet us here. That you will be in the process of creating, making, and restoring relationships. Um, so we ask you to bless this food in our continued time together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to be a part of helping us set up tables, you can do that. If you need to leave, um, we'll miss you. Have a great Sunday. <laughs>